But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. And I want to talk tonight about essentials for powerful prayer. Essentials for powerful prayer. These are familiar verses of Scripture. I know that I've preached these verses, taught these verses before. And it is my prayer that as we go through these verses that maybe I can say something that I've not said before, something that you've not heard before. But I'm sure that as we go through these verses, I'll probably say some things you've already heard. But it is also my prayer that as I said, that I'll say some things that we've not heard before that will have some new insight. That's the one thing about God's Word that you can study and you can read it over and over again and that you can always find something new. Amen. That no matter how much you study it, you can always go deeper and deeper in God's Word and find new ways to apply it and new ways to live it out. And I believe God's Word can speak to us tonight. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse number 5 through verse number 8. This is Jesus speaking. Let's look at it. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Samuel Chaddick said this, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toll, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. I want to read that quote again. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toll, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. I can't think of a truer quote. That the devil knows if he can keep us from praying, he can keep us from having victory. He can keep us from living the life that God wants us to live. I believe that tonight all of us know the power of prayer. We understand the power of prayer. We know that God answers prayer. We know that prayer changes things. We know that prayer makes a difference. But if we would be honest, we all struggle with praying. Just when you think you've got a hold on prayer, prayer seems to get away from you. Just when you think you've got prayer figured out, somehow you find out that you really don't have it figured out. Just when you think you've got a breakthrough in prayer, you come to find out that, hey, prayer's a little more complicated than what you think it is. You see, part of the reason we struggle with prayer is sometimes we don't see the results we would like to see. Amen. We know God answers prayer. We've all seen God answer prayer, but sometimes we don't see the answers as quick as we would like them to see, and we don't see them as often as we would like to see the answers. And so tonight I want to give you four essentials for powerful, effective praying. Number one, prayer must be a priority. If we're going to have powerful, effective prayer lives, prayer must be a priority. 
Three times Jesus says in these verses, when you pray, not if you pray. You see it in verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7. Jesus says, when you pray. I believe Jesus expects His people to pray. I believe Jesus expects us to be involved in prayer. I believe He expects prayer to be a priority in the lives of of His people. Hear me well. If we want to be powerful in prayer, prayer has to be important enough to have a place in our schedule. You see, one of the reasons people say they don't pray is because I don't have enough time to pray. But here's the thing. We have enough time for television. We have enough time for the internet. We have enough time for hobbies and recreation. We have enough time for just filling the blank. But yet we say we don't have enough time to pray. But you know what I've come to find out? We have enough time for whatever's important to us. Amen. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, you've got enough time for your kids and your grandkids. And you know what comes along with kids and grandkids? Baseball games, band competitions, parades, beauty pageants, and yet we say we don't have enough time for prayer. But we'll ride up and down the roads and we'll go to football games and all these other things, but we don't have enough time for prayer. But can I just say this to you? You'll never have enough time to pray if you don't take time to pray. And can I just say that time should never be an excuse for not praying? Why do I say that? Because Jesus prayed. And here's the thing about that. He had the same amount of time in His day that we do. We have 24 hours in our day and Jesus had 24 hours in His day. And here's the thing about Jesus. He led an effective ministry. He taught His disciples. He taught multitudes of people. He, he, he healed sick people. He opened blinded eyes, opened deaf ears. He made the dead raised to life again. And yet He still took time to pray. Listen to Matthew 14, 22 and 23. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Notice this. While he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. He had a long day of ministry. He put the disciples on a boat, sent them away. He got rid of all the crowds. And here's the thing. I'm sure the multitude wanted to hang around Jesus a little bit longer and hopefully they could get another miracle from Him. But He sent them all away and He went up in the mountain and He was alone there and He prayed. Luke 5, verse 15, 16. However, the report went around concerning him all the more. Listen, Jesus has been healing people. He's been working miracles. And the word about him began to spread. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Notice this. People's coming to be healed. And instead of staying there to heal them, he withdrew. So he could get alone and pray. Luke 6, 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Jesus made prayer a priority. And if he made prayer a priority, then how much more should we make prayer a priority in our lives? And here's the thing about Jesus. Because he made prayer a priority, he was effective in his ministry. 
And I would say to us, if we want to be effective in ministry and be effective in our service to God, prayer has to be a priority. You see, here's the thing. We think that Jesus was able to do all He did because He was the Son of God. No, He did all He did because He prayed. He did all He did because He was anointed by the Holy Ghost, not because He was the Son of God. Everything He did, He did because He was anointed by the Spirit. He spent time in prayer. You see, yes, He was 100% God, but He was 100% man, and He did every miracle He did as a man anointed by the Spirit. That's why He said, these works I did, you'll do and do even greater. Amen? He made prayer a priority. And so we've got to make prayer a priority. Just like you make a date to go somewhere and put it on your calendar, make prayer a priority. Put it on your schedule. Put it on your plan and make it a priority. That's how you have a powerful prayer life. But secondly, prayer must have a place. Prayer must have a place. Look at verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now in verse 5, he talked about the hypocrites and how they love to pray publicly to be seen by men. And Jesus said that's going to be the only reward they ever get, praying in public. And Jesus said, hey, don't be like them. But when you pray, go into your room, go into your closet and pray to your Father who's in secret. Now here's the thing, Jesus isn't condemning public corporate prayer. I believe some powerful things can happen when we pray corporately. When we come together in agreement, some powerful things can happen in public prayer. But I believe Jesus here, he's emphasizing private, secret prayer. He wants us to understand that when we pray, God is the audience, not man. That when I pray, I'm not praying to you or for you, I'm praying to God. And so Jesus says, get along and shut the door. You see, we can pray anywhere because God is everywhere and God can hear us. We can pray when we walk down the street. We can pray when we drive up and down the road. I've had some great times driving up and down the road. I've had some great times driving up and down the road and the Holy Ghost filled the car and the Holy Ghost touched me. I've had some of the greatest messages I've ever preached come off. Ride up and down the road and God give it to me. But I believe there's something powerful, something special about having a place of prayer. A place where I can go to and meet with God one-on-one. I believe there's something powerful about having a place that I can get to in secret and meet with God. Let's talk about the place for a moment. You need a place where you can be alone. A place where you can be isolated, just you and God. You need a place where you can be away from distractions, away from interruptions, a place where you don't have a TV, a place where you don't have a phone that's going to ring, a place where you can leave the cell phone somewhere else and just get away from all the distractions and all the interruptions. You need a place where you can concentrate and meditate and allow God the freedom to work in your heart as He wishes. That's the kind of place you need. It might be a spare bedroom. It could be your car, but you need a place. That you can just say, this is going to be my place where I meet with God. Can I tell you, Jesus had places he met with God. He would meet in the mountain. How about the Garden of Gethsemane? You want to know why Judas could tell the Pharisees and the religious people, I can take you where Jesus will be? Because Jesus had a place. 
Let me give you some scripture. Mark 135. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Notice it's a solitary place. He's out there isolated. He's by himself. And notice that he got up a long while before daylight. Mark 6, 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Luke 22, 39 to 42. Coming out, he went to the mountain of olives. Notice this. As he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into a temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt and prayed, saying, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is the Mount of Olives. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where Judas found him and led them to betray him. Again, how did Judas find him there? Because Judas knew this is where Jesus would often go to pray. It was as he was accustomed. Jesus had a place. Let me ask you, do you have a place where you can meet with God? You ought to have a place. A place where you've wept some tears before. A place that's special to you where you know that, hey, I can go there and I can meet with God. Well, let me give you some other examples of people who establish a place to meet with God. Abraham. You know, we've been talking about Abraham in the book of Genesis. Well, Abraham had some, a place where he met with God. Genesis 12, 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He built an altar. He established a place. Genesis 13, 3 and 4. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. He, after he went down to Egypt, he came back to the place where he had met with God before. Genesis thirteen eighteen. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by, dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. He established a place to meet with God. How about Peter? Acts chapter 10, verse 9 through 11. The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheep bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. Notice this. Peter goes up on the rooftop, the housetop, and he begins to pray. That lets me know any place can become a secret place. Any place can become a special place to meet with God. He goes up on the rooftop. And notice this, that while he's praying, he sees a vision. Let me just say this, God reveals things when you begin to pray. God can open your eyes when you begin to pray. If you need direction, if you'll begin to pray, God can give you vision and God can give you dreams and God can give you direction if you'll just begin to pray. You know, you know that's the thing that puzzles me. People will say, preacher, I need God to show me what I need to do, but they won't pray. Pray and God can show you what to do. Amen? If He knows the end from the beginning, why not ask Him? Why not pray and let Him show you what to do? How about Cornelius? Acts 10.30. So Cornelius, he's a Gentile. Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed. Notice this. In my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He's praying in his house. And an angel appears and tells him what he needs. Hey, send for Peter. And he'll come and he'll, he'll tell you what you need to do. 
But also notice something back in Matthew chapter 6. It says, we pray in secret because God is in secret. And and it says that God sees what's done in secret and He rewards us openly. In other words, we go in secret and pray because God is in secret and God sees what's done in secret and He rewards us openly. Listen to what I'm about to say. A secret place is important because what God does in your life in private will be evident in your life in public. That's why the secret place is so important. Because God wants to do something in your life when you're in the secret place. You see, if you've been with God, it'll be unmistakable. That's why the secret place is so important. Because God wants to do something behind closed doors that when you come out, everybody else will take notice that you've been with God. You see, there's the difference between a person who walks in God's presence and a person who doesn't. Let me say it this way. The the praying person won't have to put on a show and pretend to be spiritual. Let me say that again. I liked it. The praying person won't have to put on a show and pretend to be spiritual. In fact, let me say it this way. In my opinion, this is why there's so much religion in the church and very little power in the church. We spend our time doing everything else but praying and then we wonder why we don't see miracles and why our family members are lost. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings and we don't see people healed and don't see people saved and that's why we come in and leave the same way we come. It's because we spend all week playing and no time praying. This is because we've abandoned the secret place. We've gotten away from meeting with God in private. Nothing will get better in public until the people of God get back on their knees in private. I want to say that one more time. Nothing will get better in public until the people of God get back on their knees in private. I believe that private prayer brings public blessing. And so if we want God to show up on Sunday, it starts in the prayer closet throughout the week. That's why when it's about time to go on Sunday morning, we finally got pumped and primed enough for God to start moving, but then it's time to go home. Because for an hour, we finally dealt with the stuff in our lives, but now it's time to go home. And we tell God, well, I'll see you next week. But if Monday through Saturday we'd be on our knees and dealing with our sin and dealing with the stuff in our lives and praying and crying out to Him, we could walk through these doors and we'd be ready to go. Amen? But you've got to have a place. You say, I want to walk through this place on Sunday morning. In fact, I want to drive up in the parking lot on Sunday morning and step out the car and feel His glory. I don't want to have to walk in here and put on a show because I've been playing around all week. I don't want to have to walk in here and act like i got my stuff together when I don't because I've been playing around all week and had not spent no time with Him. I don't want to have to come in here and act all spiritual and holy because I ain't not spent no time with Him all week. I don't want to have to fake an anointing because I had not spent no time with Him. But let's be honest, we do. 
The reality is, we all play the hypocrite sometimes when we come in here on Sunday because we hadn't been in our knees throughout the week. You see, spiritual show is for public. But God wants to do something in private. And if we'll let God do something in private, God will show up and do something in public. Amen? I want God to do something in my heart in private. I believe I said it last week, maybe the week before, if we'd get along with God and say, God, revive me, and we all did that in private, say, God, revive me, stir me, do something in me, change me, convict me, and then we all got together corporately, there's no telling what God would do. But it all starts one-on-one privately. Amen? Here's what I believe we need in these last days. We need personal revival. We need personal renewal before we'll ever see it corporately. It takes all of us getting back to a personal prayer closet. Amen? But thirdly, let me move on. Prayer involves a relationship. Notice that Jesus says, pray to your Father. This implies relationship, doesn't it? But notice, this isn't a servant-master relationship, but this is a child-parent relationship. This is an intimate relationship that we have with God. In other words, when we pray, we aren't praying to a distant, disconnected, unconcerned God. We're praying to our Heavenly Father. We're praying to the One that formed us, loves us, and wants to do good things for us. And here's the thing. There's a lot of people that think God doesn't want anything good for them. They think God just wants bad for them. But listen, God wants to bless us. God wants to do good to us. Amen? God's got a plan. God's got a hope. God's got a future for us. God thinks good towards us. We're the apple of His eye. Amen? Listen to Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it might be given. Is that what it says? It says it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks... Notice that. Does it say some that ask? It says everyone. That means God's no respecter of persons. That means that if you're His child, if you're His son, you're His daughter, everyone that asks receives. And he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. It says, what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? I love those words. How much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Wow. I had this thought today as I read these verses. Prayer isn't powerful because of our asking, even though we need to ask. Prayer is powerful because of the one we ask. Wow, think about it. Prayer is not powerful because of our asking. And we need to ask. He says you had to ask. What makes prayer powerful is because of who we ask. He's our Father. That's what makes prayer so great. Not because of me, but because I'm asking Him. And He's a good Father. Amen. You see, if me being 
wicked and evil as a father wants to do good for my kids, how much more does he want to do for me? If I come to him and say, Father, this is what I need, and I ask him, even if I don't ask perfectly, because of who he is, he wants to do good. So why would I ever think that he wants to do harm to me? Why would I ever think that he wants to do evil to me? I mean, if I'm an evil father, being a sinful father, wanting to do good for my kids, how could I ever think that I'm any better than he is? You see, the father answers the prayer of his children. Jesus says, if you pray privately, he responds and answers openly. You see, prayer works for those who have a relationship with the father. You can make that implication, that assumption from this, that prayer works for those who belong to God. It it has to. Doesn't it? And so here's the thing. If it's not working for you, you're either not praying, you have not because you ask not, you're praying incorrectly. James talks about, hey, you ask but you don't receive because you ask amiss. You're asking with wrong motives. Or you don't have a relationship with Him. You're not His. Because based on what Jesus says, if you ask Him and you're His, He answers. Which leads me to the fourth and final point. Prayer must have a plan. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. And when you pray, there it is that third time, when you pray, Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Some translations say the Gentiles, some say the idolaters, the pagans. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Prayer must have a plan. I'm not trying to take the spontaneity out of prayer. I'm not trying to make prayer rigid. I'm not trying to make prayer strict. But Jesus warns here in these verses against vain repetition. This is not a warning against persistence in prayer. This isn't saying that we shouldn't pray more than once about a situation or need. In fact, Jesus doesn't say that repetition in prayer is wrong. Jesus used repetition in prayer. Matthew 26, 44. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He prayed three times. Father, if it be thy will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, let thy will be done. So he used repetition in prayer. But he says vain repetition is wrong. So we got the answer to the question, what is vain repetition? Some translations call it babbling. Meaningless repetition. Rambling. You know, somebody who knows how to ramble just goes on and on and on. And they repeat themselves over and over, saying the same thing. The idea of saying the same thing over and over again without putting any thought into what you're saying. Let me give you some examples of how this looks. Memorized prayer. Just saying the words of a prayer, such as the Lord's Prayer, can become vain repetition. Just reciting it from memory, saying it, and really giving no thought to it whatsoever. Listen, there's nothing wrong with saying the Lord's Prayer, but if all you do is just say it from memory and just recite it over and over daily... That's vain repetition. 
And the Lord's Prayer, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but it can become vain repetition. How about this? Well-worded written prayer. Again, nothing wrong with written prayer. In fact, sometimes you, you can't put words vocally out there and you might be able to write your prayer out. But thinking that what we say is so expressive and so well-worded that it's going to carry weight with God, that's wrong. How about this ritual prayer? Saying the same prayer at the same time on the same occasion. How about when you pray for your meals? Does it sound about like the same thing every time? It is a lot like that for me sometimes. How about this form of worship? Praying in the same way on a schedule can lead to praying by habit with little to no meaning to it. I get guilty of this. In fact, if, if you ask people to close in prayer or open in prayer, a lot of times you hear the same kind of prayer. Just It becomes formal. Thoughtless prayer. Speaking words while our minds are wandering. Let me just say that. We can be guilty of it. We can just kind of just talk and our minds go somewhere else. And I'll say this. It would be better not to pray than to pray insincerely. Religious words and phrases. Using certain words and phrases over and over in prayer because they're religious sounding. You ever heard somebody go to pray and it sounds like they're using King James English? That's just becoming religious when you pray. And, and I've heard them. They go to talk in King James English and their tone of voice changes and it's just like, what happened to you? I'm careful with this one, but habitual references to God. Think about this, using God's name over and over again without thought of who it is you're actually talking to. How often do we use God's name and it's really nothing more than using His name as a filler because you don't know what else to say? It can become meaningless. Just inserting His name because you don't really know what else to say. And here's the thing. All of these are easy to fall into if you don't have a plan. And here's the thing. The truth is, we've all been guilty of some of these I have. Again, how many of you start your prayers the same way? I usually do. Father in heaven. That's typically the way how I start praying. Father in heaven. I hear people that start gracious heavenly father. Or our most eternal God. I mean, you listen to people and it's typically started the same way. And a lot of this is just a byproduct of our environment and our culture and how we were raised. But it becomes meaningless repetition if we aren't careful. So let me give you seven things to keep you from using empty repetition in prayer. Number one, a genuine heart. Can I just say this to you? God wants you to be real with Him, not fake. Here's the thing about praying, or let me say it this way, talking to God. You can talk to Him about what's on your heart instead of what you think God wants to hear. Sometimes we go to God, we think, well, this is what God wants me to talk about today or this is what God wants to hear. Listen, if it concerns you, if it's on your heart, you can talk to God about that. You have to understand you're in a relationship, not a religion. 
And so if you'll just walk with God daily and have a genuine heart and a genuine relationship with Him, you can be open, you can be honest, and you can dialogue with Him. That's all God wants, is honesty. Here's the thing, God knows anyways. (laughs) Doesn't He? He already knows. So just talk. Here's something else that'll help you get away from repetition and prayer. Just thought and concentration. If you're going to pray, you can talk about what's on your heart, but also focus on the words you're going to use. Focus on words you're going to say. In other words, if you're in the habit of saying the same things and going through the same words, don't keep repeating the same words over and over, and don't keep repeating the same words you've always used. But think about the words you're going to be speaking. Here's a good thing. Slow down. Prayer don't have to be a marathon. Slow down. Think before you speak. Here's a third thing. Desire fellowship with God. Again, you're in a relationship with Him. So so pray with sincerity. Or let me say it this way. Pray and mean what you pray. Here's number four. Preparation. Prepare yourself to pray by first reading and meditating on God's Word. Listen listen to this. You can write this down. You will start praying differently when you start praying with God's Word open in front of you. In fact, if you'll start learning to pray Scripture, praying the Bible, you'll pray differently. If, If you'll have an open Bible in front of you, you'll start praying differently. This will change the way you approach God. Because if you'll read this, God will begin to talk to you and then you can begin to talk back to God. And it will drastically change how you pray. You'll find out that you might stop talking about all your needs and all you want and start talking about some of the things that God wants. Amen? And here's the thing. If you'll start focusing on what some of, some of the things God wants, God might take care of the things you want. Amen? Because here's the thing. If you'll focus on God's kingdom, God can certainly take care of yours. Isn't that what he said? Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And and, and I've talked about praying the word of God before. You you, you just read it, and if something begins to tick out to you, you just begin to talk back to God. I mean, we're reading the book of James this week, and I don't know, I just read James chapter 1. It talks about James, the servant of God, and of Lord Jesus Christ, and that word servant just hit me. I said, God, I want to be a servant. I said, God, so many times I get caught up and want to be served. I get, I get so caught up in, in titles and get so caught up in position and get so caught up making a name for myself. I said, God, help me to be a servant. Help me to be like Jesus who wants to wash people's feet, wants to, to lay aside uh, my position and, and, and just serve people. And you start praying. And you just read it. Consider it joy when you fall into trials. And I'm like, God, I don't like trials. God, I don't like problems. And God, often my attitude isn't right when I have problems. I grumble and I complain when they come. But God, you said I ought to be joyful. I ought to, have, I ought to rejoice when they come. And God, that's not my attitude. So God, help me to have the right attitude when they come. And when things aren't going my way, God, help me to look to you. And even though I can't rejoice about what I'm going through, help me to rejoice in you because you're my joy and you're my strength. That's how you pray. And when you get done praying that verse, you read another verse and, and just keep praying. 
prayer list. Make a list of your needs or make a list of people you want to pray for. Number six, pray shorter. (laughs) Notice what Jesus said there. He says, they think they will be heard for their many words. That's what he said. They think they'll be heard for their many words. In other words, the people he's writing to here, they think the longer the prayer, the more effective their prayer will be and the more impressed God's going to be. Now Jesus, he's not saying long praying is forbidden. Listen, if you can pray for an hour and God bless you. But he is saying that prayer is a matter of the heart, not a matter of words and length. And I'll say it this way. Prayers don't have to be long to be effective. Five minutes of praying can be as powerful as 50 minutes of praying depending on the attitude of a person's heart. I'll say it this way. If you're constantly watching the clock while you're praying, your heart's not in it. If you're constantly looking like, how long's it been? You may as well just get up and go do something else. Your heart's not in it. And so, and so here's the thing. Let me give some good advice on how long to pray. Pray until you're done. It's not real profound, is it? Just pray until you're done. If you're down there five minutes and you feel like you've got it out, well, you're done. If it takes you 30 minutes to get it out, you're done. But pray until you're done. If you find yourself starting to circle the wagons and go back, stop. You're done. But don't feel like you've got to force yourself to keep on going and that somehow that you're going to get brownie points with God. No. Listen if, you, listen, if you get down there to pray and you connect with God and you get into His presence and connect with Him, if that's five minutes or 50 minutes, if you somehow break through to Him, that's what matters. And there's been times I can break through to Him in 10 minutes and get what I need. And there's times I can be down there for an hour. It varies. It just all depends. I don't watch clock. I pray until I'm done. I'll put on some music. I'll sit there and I'll listen. I'll just read my Bible a little bit. I'll talk. Worship a little bit. Eventually tears will begin to flow. When tears begin to flow... And I can begin to sense His presence and I can begin to kind of work my way in a little bit. Talk about some more things. Usually I'll get my journal if He begins to put some things on my heart, make some notes or something like that and I feel like I've got things out that I need to get out. I'll say amen. And I'll move on. And however long that is, I'm not trying to keep up with the clock. I'm not trying to measure how long it is. Because it's a relationship. I'm not, I'm not trying to measure it. Because here's the thing. Who, who, who says i got to have just one time a day with Him? Why has it got to be just one long hour session a day? Why not ten, ten minute sessions a day? Why not twenty, ten minute sessions a day? 
Right? Just walk with him. Now, I believe that there's times for extended seasons of prayer. Yeah, I believe if God's calling you into a season of prayer, yeah, get away. But let me give you a segment thing here on uh, to keep you from using empty repetition. Trust God. Look at verse 8, Matthew 6, verse 8. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Trust God. You know what this tells me? I don't have to know how to pray perfectly. Because God knows what I need before I say anything at all. Right? Before I open my mouth, Brother Harold, to say anything whatsoever, God already knows. That means I don't have to spend my life trying to inform God about what's going on. Because He knows. Like when I go to Him and I'm sitting there like, God, I've got a financial need or God, i got this. Like somehow God's sitting back like, Scott, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I didn't know that, Scott. I'm glad you told me. Well, God, I've got this going on in my body. I, I, I'm sick. Well, I'm glad. I'm, I'm, thanks for informing me. Like, it, like you didn't know. And you've heard me say this before. That means prayer has to be more than just ask, asking and requesting. Because He knows. So here's the thing about prayer. Tell God what you need. But then thank Him for what He's done. Thank Him for what He's going to do. Fellowship with Him. Because He's our Father. That's why when Jesus tells us, gives us the Lord's prayer, it's our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's why it starts with God, doesn't it? Because He gives us that prayer, not as a prayer to pray, but as a model to follow. And it starts with God's kingdom, God's work, before it ever gets to us to begin with. And isn't that something? Before, when we pray, He says He knows what you need before you ask. But then He gives us the model and it's, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it lets me know that He knows what I need. And if I'll focus on Him, it's a good indication that He'll take care of me. If I'll just focus on Him. Amen. In closing... I came across this great hymn. It's not in our hymnal to the best of my ability that I could see. But it's entitled, Leave It There. It's by Charles Tenley. I'll read you the four verses and the chorus. Verse 1 says, If the world from you withhold of its silver and gold and you have, and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in His word how He feeds the little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain, this is verse 2, and your soul is almost sinking in despair. Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save and He can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Verse 3. When your enemies assail and your heart begins to fail, don't forget that God in heaven answers prayer. He will make a way for you and will lead you safely through. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Verse 4. When your youthful days are gone and old age is stealing on, 
and your body bends beneath the weight of care. He will never leave you then. He'll go with you to the end. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Here's the course. Leave it there, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. You can take it to Him and leave it there. Amen. Our God answers prayer. Prayer makes a difference. And I believe that we can call on Him and we can be people who can pray powerful prayers and we can see God do powerful things in our lives. Amen. Would you stand with me?